Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Welcome back, everyone. Happy November. I'm super happy to be back with you today. And boy, oh boy, you guys, this is a crazy, vulnerable week in Wonderland. Today's episode is part two of a two-part episode. And I know what you're thinking, longtime listeners, And no, you didn't miss an episode of the Wellness Wonderland Radio. Actually, part one, where the guest of today's episode interviews me on her podcast called Food Psych. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but it wasn't an episode of the Wellness Wonderland Radio that you missed. It was an episode in a different podcast that I was on. So this week, the guest... On the Food Psych podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts ever to listen to, is actually me. Yeah, I'm in the hot seat and I speak about my tumultuous relationship with food in a really authentic conversation with the host, Christy Harrison, who is also now the guest in today's podcast here that you're about to listen to. So, If you haven't listened to the Food Psych podcast before, allow me to introduce you to it and prepare to be addicted and binge listen to all the episodes, which I definitely have done myself. So the show is super different from my show, The Wellness Wonderland Radio, and I am confident though that you listeners will enjoy it because I enjoy it. And the Food Psych podcast has really been powerful for me. And it's cool because what it does is it explores the intersection between food and psychology. So in each episode, nutritionist, journalist, and food expert, foodie, Christy Harrison, who you'll hear from on today's episode of my show, talks to a variety of guests, right? She talks to chefs, comedians, writers, actors, psychologists, and this week she speaks to me about our relationships with food. And with them, Christy discusses the science of eating disorders, substance addiction, family relationships to food, and just how food affects the brain. And it's really powerful. So to me, the the coolest thing about the show is how it connects us because we all have weird tendencies when it comes to food. Myself so included, which you'll hear in my episode of her show, but it's also been really healing for me to heal from my eating disorder because Christy is someone who not only has experienced an eating disorder herself, but has grounded health knowledge as a nutritionist and dietitian, but she's also has this whole other side of things where she's a foodie, right? She's a food journalist and she's super tapped into the restaurant and food scene in New York and, and just in general actually across the country. Um, 
And that was a whole new world for me, right? I, I'd i been so stuck in healthy eating for years in my habits that I completely was disconnected from eating for pleasure and the experience of eating out. So listening to this podcast really opened me up to know that there's another way of seeing it. There's another way of doing it beyond high vibe foods, beyond you know, superfoods. And that was really helpful to me. And I think that you guys will find it helpful too. So I suggest highly checking it out. And it's really a great form of entertainment. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll learn something as well. So yeah, you'll definitely like the Food Psych Podcast. Check it out on iTunes. And a great way to get into it is to listen to me and my story on episode 34, which aired yesterday if you're listening to this the day this podcast airs but it's there forever you know how podcast land works they never they never go away this stuff will always be out there I guess so episode 34 is very dramatically called when healthy eating hurts and it features me so check it out and I would love your feedback. Um, so you've got two options here. You can either jump back and listen to my episode on the Food Psych podcast, which was the first one Christy and I recorded, or you can just continue listening here and listen to me interview Christy on this show and then you can jump back to Food Psych and listen to me on her show. Either way will work. We just happen to record my episode as the guest on her show first and then we recorded my episode with her on my show second. So it doesn't really matter which order as long as you listen to them both. But um, yeah, you'll you'll love these episodes. Um, it was actually the first time Christy and I ever met. I showed up with chocolate chip cookies that my friend made for me to take on the plane ride with me into her adorable little apartment and it's not little it's actually pretty cool sized um in Brooklyn anyways we were sitting at her dining room table eating these chocolate chip cookies and it was really awesome that we were able to record our very first conversations and then when we both were editing the podcast we were emailing back and forth saying god that was really fun you know we got to hang out again so we've built a, a friendship and she's a really really cool person um So yeah, so you'll hear us getting to know each other through our two conversations, and we get to know each other through the lens of food, which is really interesting because I can kind of feel like you can gain everything you need to know about a person through talking about their relationship and their history with food because it's really a window into their lives. So these conversations are really interesting. Please enjoy them. And if you are coming from Food Psych to the Wellness Wonderland, welcome to Christie's listeners. I am so glad you're here and you will really love hearing Christy open up about her story in this episode, even more so than she does in some of the episodes of Food Psych. So I think you'll love it and go and explore the archives of the Wellness Wonderland Radio while you're here. I think you might like some of my other guests as well. And if you're a longtime listener of the Wellness Wonderland, I love you guys. You're so awesome. And I want to thank you all. And I want to give a special thank you to Erin, who was my first listener to make a donation to the Wellness Wonderland podcast. Erin, you rock. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and finding enough value in my show 
and the information I share to donate to help keep the lights on here in Wonderland. It's really, really beneficial and every little bit counts and I'm really grateful. So if you too are a listener and you have been listening for a while and and want to, you know, help me create more content, go ahead and leave a donation. It's really easy, simple, click through with PayPal. So um, it will just help me be able to create more content. I want to be able to produce this more and it takes, um, takes some effort. So I would love to connect with you online. If you leave a donation, um, you get different swag for different levels you donate. So if you donate at one certain level, you'll get a shout out on the show like Aaron just got or a tweet from me or the opportunity to suggest a guest even. And even at some levels, you can get a free Wellness Wonderland Method life coaching session with me. So check out the donate page and the link to that will be in the show notes. So be sure to check out the show notes to this episode as well. All the links to Christy and Food Psych will be there. And be sure to hit those up in every episode if you're listening on iTunes because there's a lot of good information in there including tweetables and, you know, that's always good to look up. And I include some tips in there and, and of course, all the links. So check that out. And again, reviews. Guys, these reviews make me swoon. I love them. I'm super grateful for them. Above all, um, if you really want to support the show, above the reviews, above the donations, share it with a friend. I mean, I just want to share this message. That's why I'm here. And it would be really awesome if you could share this episode, especially since it is so raw and real, with anyone you think it would help. So pass this along, send a link, tweet a link, Instagram a link. I don't know. Instagram's not the best with links, but yeah, share the show, share the knowledge, Share the inspiration you've get got from the show and just try to live in your wellness wonderland as much as you can and bring this message into your life as much as you can. So stay living in your wellness wonderland until I see you back here in mine. Enjoy this episode with Christy and I will talk to you soon. Welcome back to Wellness Wonderland today. I am sitting across the table from on guest this time rather than on Skype. I'm on location <laughs> in New York City listening. I'm on the set of one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, Food Psych, with the host, Christy Harrison, who, in addition to being a podcast host, is also a registered dietitian, nutritionist in private practice specializing in eating disorders, weight management, and chronic disease prevention. She works with clients to improve their relationship to food while improving their health, which I think makes Christy so cool and also the ex- the fact that she has extensive culinary background and this really grounded nutritional knowledge and background as a journalist with more than 10 years of experience in food and nutrition media. So she's written for award-winning books and magazines and websites, including Gourmet and Modernist Cuisine. And what I really, really dig about her is her grounded nutritional experience and how she blends it with her culinary experience to make a really well-rounded party of a podcast, Food Psych. (laughs) And her witty intellect and ability to lead such a natural conversation on her show is just really awesome, as as well as the eclectic mix of people that that she brings in, where we 
listen to them talk about their relationships to food, which, like we spoke about when I was on her show, is such a deeply personal topic. And so we get to hear about weird eating habits and family stories and her own recovery from disordered eating and, and tools she suggests to have better relationships with food and our bodies. So... Thank you so much for being in the metaphorical wellness wonderland, even though we're in your wellness wonderland today. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming to my wellness wonderland. Well, I love it here. We yeah. were saying how great your apartment yeah, is in, in you. your podcast. But, yeah. um, but it, like, again, like we were saying before, it's, it's really interesting to hear your story because it's sprinkled throughout so many of your episodes. But I would love to zoom the lens back and hear more about how you came to this work and um, what really brought you here and everything mm -hmm. you've been through. Cool. Yeah, I would be happy to share that. Um, so, yeah, I've probably shared bits and pieces on my podcast, but it, it all began for me basically when um, in my junior year abroad uh, in college, I went to Paris and I studied rhetoric in French and was, you know, thinking about all these big ideas, but at the same time, I didn't really know how to feed myself or take care of myself, you know, like so many college students, I kind of yeah. was just muddling through and, you know, had definitely gained a little bit of weight my freshman year, um, but mostly lost it through just kind of normalizing, you know, figuring out how to eat in the dining hall and that wasn't super triggering, but then I went to Paris and, you know, was constantly eating cheese and baguettes and all this wonderful stuff and, you know, not exercising as much as I had before and... Um, just, you know, put on a little bit of weight and freaked out about it. And like you said on my podcast earlier, I think it's, you know, that moment for a lot of people can be so triggering. Like mm -hmm. when you first gain some weight and are trying to figure out, okay, what do I do about this? Is you this think something it'll I can... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, it, you know, I had seen a lot of people around me gain weight or struggle with their weight. No one in my family has ever been overweight, not in my immediate family anyway, but they always have this fear of gaining weight. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of food policing when I was a kid. Yeah. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like on my podcast, it was, you know, my dad would say like, you're eating breakfast. We're going to be eating all this food all day long mm -hmm. at Thanksgiving. You know, don't, don't be, you don't need to be eating now. Or we'd go on road trips and, you know, it'd be like, you have to like finish your lunch because we're not stopping. Yeah. You know, if you want a snack, like you weren't allowed to eat the times, times and, and amounts that I wanted. Yeah. yeah. So there was always a lot of, you know, conversation about food and how, and also we went out to eat a fair amount and that was like, a really lovely experience, but um, it was peppered with a lot of angst and guilt from my mm -hmm. parents. There was like, oh, we've been eating so much, you know, if we'd be yeah. on vacation, I'd be like, I feel like I've, you know, gone up two pant yeah. sizes. I don't need to eat for a week. I, exactly. Yes. Like, I'm not going to eat all day. I'm not going to eat all day. Yeah. And, and this, then these like later when you sweeping eat, declarations like, yeah. about like how much you've eaten and when you're going to eat next. And then, yeah, later you're hungry again and it's like a federal case, you yeah. know? Yeah. And as a kid, I mean, as a kid, I had, I think, a fast metabolism. I just ate often. I didn't eat a lot at any one time, but I was sort of a grazer. And that was my natural tendency. But, you know, as many kids do, they, I got sort of forced into this, like, three meals a day, you know. Yeah. S maybe snacks. I mean, I definitely was allowed snacks, but at specific times, you know. Um, so, okay, yeah, I guess I'm going way back before junior no, year because, yeah, starting at the beginning. Um, so when I, when I was nine, this is kind of the biggest, like, 
first food memory, first thing about like food becoming more than just food in my life. Um, when I was nine, we moved from Oakland to, which is, you know, very diverse city outside of San Francisco, um, kind of known for like from rap music, gangster rap as being sort of hard and tough, but like the part of Oakland I was from was not like that, mm-hmm. but it was very diverse kind and like accepting and cool. Yeah, yeah it was like right. a cool place and, you know, I had friends of all different ethnicities and like socioeconomic backgrounds and I felt very accepted for the most part and I was not I definitely wasn't like I didn't stand out for anything specific you know so that was I think I've always been afraid of standing out too much and you know I've always wanted to fit in yeah we were talking I mean, we about can that relate earlier. to that and jump back to part yes. one of this podcast yes. with me and I relate to that a lot totally yeah so you know i absolutely resonated with that too because I I never wanted to make a lot of waves but when we were nine we moved to this town suburb of Oakland very close by but a a small town very white very privileged you know sort of upper upper Mm -hmm. middle class whereas Oakland's a little more middle class I guess um and people were so different and so judgmental I mean there were I was teased for things that I never would have thought would be even remarkable in so Oakland, you know? interesting how different locations can be. So interesting, yeah. It was yeah. like, my, you know, my parents' clothes were the subject of scrutiny, the, the car we drove, like, you know, wow. my clothing choices, the yeah. fact that my ears stuck out, like, it, everything was just... That's upper. funny, because it's bringing up a lot for me, actually. Like, I never moved cities, mm-hmm. but, like, I... Started out in elementary school um, through middle school, going to a Catholic school, private school, oh. and then shifted to a public school for high school. And I, I grew up in a college town, and mm-hmm. um, public school was like super diverse because of the university, and yeah. it was really cool. And same thing, I, I noticed kind of in the reverse though that yeah. like as a kid, I, I felt you know like we 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 were separate and different mm-hmm. and didn't have you know and my parents were divorced and no other parents oh, were divorced wow. and like and then when I moved schools like um everybody's parents were divorced <laughs> you were weird if your parents were married and you were weird if like you didn't have stuff and I yeah. just like I excelled you know it that's was amazing better it was interesting yeah, to, that totally. I never thought of it until I heard you yeah that's so fascinating yeah and that was such a resi- like that's such a an important part of my background I think because you know we we're talking on part one about you know feeling not good enough feeling different and how that you know can last that feeling can cause people to make all sorts of choices that are not healthy and like you know that that's probably the biggest like origin of it underlying fear yeah definitely like you're you're there's something wrong with you you Mm -hmm. know and that moment when I was nine moving there like I felt so just wrong and different and bad and mm-hmm. we moved into this house that was my grandparents' house, and my grandfather had passed away, and grandmother was not really able to live in this big old house by herself, so she went to live in a retirement community, and we bought the house from them. And it was in a shambles, and you know, my parents didn't have a lot of extra money, and especially with this bigger mortgage now with the new house, so they decided to remodel the whole thing themselves. Like, they put in new floors, they put in new fixtures and bathrooms and tiles and, like, everything. They redid everything. It was awesome. But they were so busy with that and, like, weekends were just, like, completely taken over by that that my sister and I were kind of left to our own devices. Yeah. And so we watched a lot of TV. We, like, ran around outside. You know, we kind of just, like, 
took care of ourselves suddenly, yeah. which was a real change because my parents had been very like hovery and involved mm. previously, and That's this was just we made like a project. Yeah, this was like okay, new project, you yeah. know, <laughs> like so, and you know they were still involved and like cared about us, but they just they weren't like available for mm. large chunks of time. And so, and I was depressed and, you know, moving to the new school was hard. Um, And I don't think anyone really recognized my, what probably was a depression at the time, but I was like, you know, pretended to be sick all the time so I wouldn't have to go to school. Oh, wow. Um, For like a year I did this. And, you know, my mom was, my mom's a therapist. I mean, she like, (laughs) I think they missed a little bit there. But, um, but, you know, I, it. That was a really hard year for me, and I remember, like, turning to food for comfort then. It was like I was bored a lot, and that was something I could do to make myself feel better. I remember Mm -hmm. making these weird concoctions of different things, like carnation instant breakfast with peanut butter, like, melted, was, like, my little version of a a Reese's peanut butter cup. So I would just do these weird things with food, and, like, you know, that was the first time I remember being, like, okay, like... Yeah, like, and obviously in hindsight, I can see this now. Like, I had an emotional relationship to food that was a little, you know, different and sort of the beginnings, I guess, of having food be something other than food. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, so that was kind of, that, like, emotional eating definitely continued for me for a long time. And I think I never questioned it because I didn't really gain weight. It wasn't like a... I wasn't binging, I was just, you know, probably eating more, more than I would have been otherwise, but, Mm -hmm. you know, not enough to show up in any way, so, and nobody questioned me on it, it wasn't like, even though my parents are very, had a lot of scrutiny on what people ate and stuff, I think at that point, they weren't, they weren't scrutinizing much of anything, because they were working on the house all the time, Yeah. and after that, I mean, and they kind of also just... You know, at a certain point, we're like, oh, they're kids. I don't know. They're hungry all the time. Like, yeah. they're growing. So, you know, that kind of policing was out the window for a period of time anyway. Um, so I just was able to keep doing it. And it wasn't until I got to college that I, you know, when I went to France and gained weight, and then I started to question my whole relationship to food because I was like, oh, crap. Like, I'm kind of you know, bigger than I want to be. I'm splitting pants. Like, I split a couple of pairs of pants, and I was like, what even is this? Yeah. Like, I just had no idea because I had never experienced it before. Um, but then all the sort of social conditioning came flooding back. Like, oh, my mom's friend who's always trying to lose weight. My my best friend's mom who, like, wouldn't keep anything with fat in the house, you it's know. like just there waiting for you. All waiting for me, just in the back of my mind, like, ready to go. Okay, got to be on a diet, you know? And, um, yeah, so then I, I started cutting things out willy nilly. I started, you know, making my own rules basically about food based on very little good information, pretty much no good science, actually the internet. Um, the the first of it was Dr. Google. Yeah. Solving everybody's problems, like making things worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I think the first of it was, like, when I was still living in France, I observed my roommate, who was French, who, you know, smoked and didn't eat that much. And I was like, I should try to eat like her. She skips breakfast, so I'm going to start skipping breakfast. Like, that was the first 
irrational food rule that I had oh, for yeah. myself. And then it kind of just went from there. I was like, experimented. You know, when I got home, I experimented with different diets. And Atkins was big at the time, so I kind of dabbled in that. But I also decided to be vegetarian, which is hard so to do like on low carbs. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Very little, very little of anything. But then, you know, I, I was only successful, quote unquote, in restricting for a short amount of time. I think like a couple months I was able to like be really austere with myself. And then the rebound binging started. Mm-hmm. So I would restrict all day and then binge at night and feel terrible. And, you know, binge is, I mean, it was objectively a large amount of food at yeah. one time, but I was probably just making up for what I had been missing throughout the day right like looking back on it recently I sort of realized like I wasn't you know overeating really I was just I was just eating at inappropriate times or inappropriate amounts at one time but if anyone had told me then like listen you're gonna eat all this food anyway because your body needs x number of calories and you're gonna get it by hook or by crook so why not just eat it at regular meal times and snacks and like when you're hungry I would have been like, you're crazy. That's not true. I just have to yeah. work harder, you know? Yeah. So that's really where the disorder Or began. maybe that's true, but I don't care. I just want to get thin. Yeah. Yeah, that too. I mean, but I didn't even, I think I placed so little stock in nutrition science at the time that I, I did, you know, stumble on like the BMI calculator and, the, and like calorie calculators and stuff. And I would put in my height and weight and age and be like, okay, how many calories am I supposed to have? And it would spit out a number that now I can see is very appropriate. But at the time, I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. I, based on no real information, just being like, that number is too high, yeah. you know? And being a, a 20, you know, early 20s, I was probably 20 at the time. Like, you know, I still had the metabolism of a 20-year-old. Yeah. It, was, it was certainly appropriate to be eating, you know, I needed to be eating that much, and I was pretty active, and I just refuse to believe it so I remember one time like at the height of things for me I read mm-hmm. in a magazine or I heard somewhere I'm not even gonna say the number because I don't mm-hmm. want to be triggered yeah. else, but um, I heard the number that Lady Gaga eats and like I'm not like a fan of hers or anything yeah. I'm, like I mean whatever I'll sing her song but like <laughs> I I heard that and I was like okay that's what I need to be eating right yeah like, that's done like yeah you know? and I'm gonna eat and every day eat less than that great mm-hmm. like Numbers are so crazy that way. Mm-hmm. It's like you just seize on something based on very little information, but your mind is sort of ready for yeah. ready for that. And at the time, actually, my mom my mom had always been trying to lose a little bit of weight, and she was never overweight, but she like always said that you know after always the trying. pregnancy with my sister, yeah, always trying exactly. And after the pregnancy with my sister, she never lost that baby weight, so she just like yeah. felt like she was carrying around baby weight forever, which like in reality. You know, women's bodies change as they age. It's and I think she was at a perfectly healthy weight. It just was to her felt too big, and she needed to be losing it. So she was always yeah. trying a little bit. Yeah. Um, and at that time, I think it just happened to coincide. You know, my beginnings of the eating disorder with her like body dissatisfaction. You know, ramping up or. Um, she went to a doctor. This might have something to do with it, but she, you know, she went to a doctor and asked about her weight, and the doctor, you know, may have had her own eating issues and right. whatnot. Doesn't so know. they don't get much nutrition. They really don't. And and doctors actually, I've read recently, they're like a large percentage that have orthorexia or anorexia or some, you know, 
spectrum of eating disorder because it it makes sense in that population people who are very you know high achieving and yeah you know it tends to go along with this like desire for control that's interesting so yeah so it's that's why I was saying earlier that it was so amazing that your doctor kind of picked up on it because I think Mm -hmm. a lot of doctors can be you know either not in the know or maybe have their own kind of stuff clouding their judgment and I don't even know if she picked it up necessarily or just was kind of like Mm-hmm. Or the way she presented it to me was like, we're just taking a precaution. You know, maybe uh, that's yeah. the only thing I could have heard at that the time. Helped like, it be okay, it helped for, it be okay for me. But or maybe she just really was like, oh, maybe this is fine. But mm-hmm. just in case, I'm gonna cover my right. Bases. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. So insurance doesn't, you know, yeah. whatever. I don't yeah. get like yeah. malpractice. So that's something. interesting. Yeah, for sure. So I think my mom saw this doctor who kind of had her own stuff and was like, oh, you should be eating X number of calories. Yeah. Do you want to be this weight? you know, be eating this many calories. And my mom started to do it and, or to try anyway. And that coincidentally was like around the number that I was also restricting myself to. So we kind of bonded over that Mm. and like restricted together, which, you know, at the time I didn't recognize was unhealthy. I don't think she did either. Yeah. She's a therapist, but she doesn't have training in eating disorders. And, you know, it's a, it's a very specific kind of thing. So, um, so I think that was was definitely pretty triggering. Well, before we like pick up the news, I mm. this whole time I've been curious about. So, with your parents and, and your mom, do they listen to the podcast? What do they think of the work that that you're doing now yeah. and talking about this and being so vocal about how your childhood impacts the rest of your life, especially as a therapist? Yeah. Well, so my mom at one point asked to not like have her name revealed or like say too much about her career or anything like that and which I totally respect so I don't like say their names or really any identifying information about them um and they really like the podcast and they like hearing about you know my trajectory thanks (laughs) and they're like you know sweet proud parents yeah like you're doing such amazing my dad especially like loves it it's so it's so cute um, but there are certain episodes where we like talked about it ahead of time where I was like, you know, there's certain things I might reveal that might be weird yeah. for me to have you guys know. And like, is it okay to have like no parents allowed ones? And they were like, yeah, yeah that's totally fine. So there are certain episodes where I'm like, Hey guys, this one's a no parents allowed. Good and for you. Yeah. they are, they honor that. So I think Good. that's really helpful, but it is weird to me sometimes to like talk so openly about it and know that they're not going to hear it, but maybe like you know other people that, that I don't know as know, well or that or, potentially yeah. that they know although I've been very cagey about like certain family members like older family members yeah. who you know do have the internet might listen to it if I like specifically sent it to yeah. them I'm just not doing that because yeah. I don't want to like put it in front of their face like if yeah. they happen to stumble on it that's fine but that's fine yeah. um so I don't really know it's it's weird I mean and I think a lot of like I'm trying to take a cue from, like, comedians and stuff who Mm -hmm. just, you know, share it because it's maybe helpful to someone else and try to, you know, talk to the family members to, like, buffer any potential reactions as much as possible, but also to be like, well, this was my experience. I try as much as possible to, like, keep it to my experience. Right. If you could leave it out, you would. Yeah. It's so part of what... It's, It's all of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah have you found this, a similar thing with your family? Well, or? I haven't really talked. Like, in, on my show, you know, I, I don't really talk mm. about my story, yeah. you know. So 
I was thinking about it for this, yeah. you know? So it's it's interesting. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing to negotiate. Yeah, it's... but there's definitely been times where, you know, like my mom will say something like, oh, like I didn't know you felt that way. Is mm-hmm. it? And that's, that's hard because it's like I have I so much deep respect for both of my parents and all yeah. of my extended family because every single one of them is exactly the way they are for a reason. Mm-hmm. And they did the best that they could and every single food choice was out of love yeah. and like everything was out of love and still is out of love mm-hmm. and I can have so much deep gratitude and appreciation for that and so I just would never want them to, to think that yeah you know, I, I don't but you know these these issues as that, that's what like therapy is you know it's totally. like working through the the programming mm-hmm. you know it's like on learning and relearning yeah. and just figuring out how to be a person you exactly know? yeah and I think like I feel the same way you know my parents did the best they could and they're great parents in so many ways like I wouldn't be here being able to do what I do and you know having whatever measure of success I have without them I mean they yeah. instilled so many good values and work ethic mm-hmm. and you know the right so much of the right stuff but there were you know I think a lot of the values and you know ethic that I have from them is can also tip into perfectionism and that goes along with all the other stuff you know Mm -hmm. eating issues and you know sort of addictive OCD-ish tendencies you know they're it's they're so related and just knowing like I come from that I come from a family that is you know very wonderful and successful in some ways and and that's our downfall you know that's our that's our like um you know, whatever it is, our, our sort of weak point, yeah. our Achilles heel, yeah. but, but that's common, you know, that I see so many clients with the same kind of background, that yeah. it's like these families that are amazing in ways that, you know, other families might not be, but that, you know, we have this bag of struggles that kind of we carry with us. So. Yeah. And then, you know, I always, I always say that, you know, even to like the girls that, that I'm, I'm working with, I always say that like, when we're talking about life purpose, mm-hmm. that, whatever that thing is that your Achilles heel or that thing you just like don't want to deal with you that's mm-hmm. been the most painful for you the thing you think about the most like yeah whatever that is figure it out for you and that's what you're meant to be here for totally. and teach and learn from and then eventually teach and you know for us it's very clearly this mm-hmm. you know it's very clearly our eating disorders and these yeah. habits and you know but it's it's different for everybody but it's interesting to think of something that seems that negative and yeah. it can it can it can be a positive totally and that's interesting um so you um thinking about we were talking about this a little bit before too with with women and mm-hmm. you gave a statistic that what was it 70 65 to 75 percent of women have disordered eating it's Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling, but also, like, so spot-on. Like, of course. How would you not? Yeah, talk to a woman. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, seriously. Talk to women you know. It's it's obvious. So my question there is, do you believe this is shifting and shift? And Mm -hmm. how are... What are some things even people can do to show? Like, how long do you... Like, all of that. Yeah. Can we explore that a little? For sure. Yeah, that's such a great question. Yeah. I think I think it is shifting in the sense that more people are becoming aware of it. You know, like we were talking about earlier, there's like... There's all this... Body confidence. Body confidence. Yeah. And yeah, like, you know, health at every size movement has kind of... I think it's jumped a little beyond... Na- you know, it used to be a really niche kind of esoteric 
little movement, and now it's sort of jumped a little more into the mainstream. mainstream. There are, you know, prominent body, you know, health at every size, like, speakers, and, mm-hmm. you know, that message has gotten a little bit into the mainstream discussion about food and body, but there's still so much to do, and there's a lot that I think is maybe potentially setting us back. I was at a conference recently, and one of the speakers was this therapist who'd been working with eating disorders for 30 years, and she was like... I predict that in the next generation, like our next generation of clients is going to be like mostly orthorexia because of all this messaging that people are getting now around healthy food and, you know, the obesity epidemic and, you know, making healthier choices. Like, that's... Or even if it is anorexia, they'll portray it. I mean, that was... Yeah, exactly. It's a fine line. It's a really fine line. I mean... I think she probably meant it as, like, orthorexia, you know, tendencies, however that manifests. Because orthorexia is not, like, a specific um, DSM category right now. It's, like, one of the other other specified eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of, like, a gray area. But it's... Yeah, like, you know, this idea of health and wellness is so mainstream now that people are taking that and you know there's a lot of judgment from that too mm-hmm. like if you're not doing that you're wrong totally and yeah like your you know parents are kind of policing each other on how they raise yeah. their kids yeah. and so yeah it's it definitely is I think it could go either way in the next yeah. generation I think it's good that you know there is more and more awareness around like how to have these discussions and you know, I read things like Jezebel or, you know, like mainstream kind of like women's magazine, like cool online women magazines that bring up these issues and, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, will like give a trigger warning yeah. when something's about to talk about weight or whatever. Yeah. That's new, you know? That's like only... that one, um, the girl who's in Girls. Um, yeah. Um, that article. Yeah. yeah, exactly. People are speaking up about it more now mm-hmm. than ever awesome. before. Totally. Yeah. And like and speaking up about it in ways that I think are evolved from the previous generation's way of speaking up. You know, the first generation of eating disorder memoirs was very triggering for a lot of people and ended up sort of being like how to manuals yeah. for eating yeah. disorders. So like they would be very specific about calories and weight and this is food what habits. I did and, yeah. Yeah. And this yeah, so like I think the next generation has learned from that and now is being a little more, you know, cagey and revealing those details and also, like, trying to write from a recovered perspective rather than a in-process perspective, you know. And being honest with the fact that, like, these things still come up. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... it's The recovery is kind of a dance. Totally. Um, That's interesting. Like, if I were to be asked that question... Mm. I would say probably that, like, bringing pleasure in would Mm -hmm. be something that would help heal. And I think you're a really great example of that, especially with your show. Just, you know, you always have everyone eat something on the show, and and you're eating all different things and things Mm -hmm. that are very, very different than probably what you would have eaten at the height of your disorder. For sure, yeah. Yeah. And and you have this really... it's, It's cool to hear very very foodie people mm-hmm. talking about restaurant culture and life yeah. and, and I think for a lot of people myself included like I'm so far removed for that and mm-hmm. maybe it's like the city that I don't live in New York but also like you know I can tell you where every raw vegan place and yeah. all these recipes but like I know nothing when it comes to like cool restaurants or mm-hmm. cool you know and you have the experience there but 
do you think that like perhaps the the whole foodie culture and food television and things mm-hmm. like that could maybe work in conjunction with eating disorder healing? And because sure. I've heard a lot of people say that like, oh, I have this really bad eating disorder, and I think we maybe in one of your surveys, mm-hmm. um, and they're like, oh, but then I started dating this guy, and he was a big foodie, and everything was fine. That was actually my story. Oh, yeah. right. And yeah. it wasn't everything was fine, but it was I it that that opened my eyes. I think in such an important way. That's what your podcast has yeah. done for me. Oh, honestly. thank you. Yeah. Well, that's amazing to hear because you know I I do think that was such a huge part of my recovery, yeah. and I try to bring like that passion and excitement about food into my work with people and mm-hmm. into the podcast because you know I had never known anyone who was a foodie either like I, I mean I grew up in the Bay Area where there was you know oh, a hotbed food. of yeah. foodies too though like it was like you know California oh. cuisine and that kind it was like health healthy but like done in an interesting way there mm-hmm. was definitely a restaurant culture that I just wasn't aware into. of or tapped into yeah. it. and then it, of course, I retreated farther and farther from it when I had my eating disorder. Yeah. And I just, you know, it's like you were saying earlier, like you kind of stumble on the people or the, um, you need maybe them. this was in your, your um, latest episode too, or one of your latest episodes, but um, where it's like, you know, you end up with the relationships that, you Bring know, up reflect, yourself. exactly, yeah. like what, you, what need. you need to work relationships on. Relationships are assignments. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And like. So this relationship was definitely an assignment. This guy just popped into my life who was, like, from New York and a big foodie and from a foodie family, and I had never known anyone like that, you know? I was just like, this guy is fascinating. And and I was at such a, you know, like we were talking about fitting in. I so wanted to fit in, and relationships, this has been a constant thing for me, you know, up until, like, five years ago, but I would really change myself to try to be what I thought the person wanted from me, you know? So, like... With him, I was like, okay, he like had this cool foodie girlfriend before, and he did all these food adventures, and I need to be that cool foodie Make girlfriend now. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it was like, just what you needed, just That's what I so needed. And he wasn't too much because he has said later that he has kind of like manorexic tendencies. He calls them. He he does the thing where he won't eat all day to save up mm-hmm. for, or he did anyway at the time, like save up for a big meal. Yeah. His family did that too. So there is a lot of like you know body policing and disordered thoughts around food and he had been briefly like a fat kid and his dad was panicked about that and like plotted his growth on a bmi chart or something and like showed it to him you know so it was it was like very in his face and then he got a growth spurt which many this is the story for many kids you know they'll get a little chubby and then they'll shoot up yeah on your show yeah totally so yeah this another guy too grew like a foot yeah whatever how many years that that's interesting um your your story the Mm. bacon wrap dating episode of the podcast did that for me like Mm. when she was saying like and everyone i'll put that in the show notes but um, she was saying things like, you know, if someone on um, that site is a vegan mm-hmm. comes to me, like, what am I, what are what they am doing I with do me? With like, what am I going to do with a vegan? Yeah. yeah. And like, while that was like so funny and the whole episode was so entertaining, mm-hmm. but at this, it was like, it blew my mind. It was like, oh my God, people could think I'm like really effed up because of right. all these like patterns I have. And like, I'm never going to meet anybody. Oh, like, no. clean up your stuff, <laughs> you know? But it was also really good for me to be like, mm-hmm. I need to chill out. Like, right. I, this is like to life. To see that other and people might judge This is that. society. And yeah, yeah, like, let's drop into the present moment. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, like, it, it exactly. It was That's so foreign cool. to me that like, 
that would be judged. Like, cause I, right. I, there was so much of me like, oh, I think it's cool. I eat this way and I'm yeah. like doing the right thing and the wellness thing. And yeah. That. Like, and yeah, some people appreciate that, but some mm. people don't. And again, like, right. I don't want to change myself or so there's like a fine line. Such a fine line. Yeah. But it's interesting to explore that. Totally. And can be actually really helpful in the eating disorder conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, it, you know, if you have someone, whoever it is in your life, kind of helping you step by step, just get bringing comfortable, back bringing back pleasure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a client who I see for meal support. I go out like to restaurants with clients and help them eat. It's so you know? cool it's that like, you do that. It's really rewarding and fun. And I think my passion for food is really helpful in that because yeah. I can be like, hey, let's try this cool place. I want to do that or, with you. you know, we yeah, that. we should. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Um, so yeah, I have this one client especially who's like, never was comfortable with any restaurants except for like sushi and like a few you know just like it was like very specific like few places that Mm -hmm. she would go and I have her going all over the city now to like all these different places such an expanded horizon to food and I feel like I'm maybe hopefully you know I'm trying to do for her what like that boyfriend did for me and like just you know bringing pleasure and bringing awareness like how exciting it can be and how delicious because that's the thing like you turn yourself off to it so purposefully. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's not totally free therapy. Nope, don't no, look at no. that one. Like, or like uh, um, admitting things you like. Yeah. Did you have yeah. that too? Oh Where it's my like, God. be like, you can't say you like French fries. Yeah. You can't say you like ice cream. I don't cream. like that. Like, I, I don't like that. I don't yeah. eat that because I don't like exactly. it. Exactly. Not because, not because I'm, I'm oh, trying to watch my weight or one. anything. Yeah. So even being able to own that, you know, like talking yeah. about authenticity. And, and for, and, yeah, like for me, I could never say that like I didn't, I, I could say that I, I would never ever say the weight thing. You know, oh, it was yeah. like, it would, but it was like, trying but to it's the weight. healthy thing. The healthy, like, I exactly. I want to eat this because it isn't healthy. Yeah. You know, like I could fall on that, that crutch, but like yeah. I would never want anyone to know I cared about my weight. Right. Like. I know. I resonated with that too. Embarrassed of that. Yeah. Yeah, I want my my goal was I just want to be this like naturally thin person who doesn't have to think about it or eat it. Effortless. Yeah. Totally. That's it's so interesting. I know. Um, so what are like some tips that you give your clients on bringing pleasure back in? Like what are some like to kind of take away there? I think like one big thing is just mindfulness and starting to notice, you know, even if it brings up anxiety, okay, notice that. But, you know, what are the flavors of this food? What are what do you like and not like about this? You know, do you like the texture? And obviously try to focus less on what you don't like. But, yeah. you know, if you if there's something that you're enjoying, like, you know, hone in on that. What what do you like about it? What's Presence. yeah, like just exactly. Start start to notice exactly what's happening in the moment that you're eating and mm-hmm. you know, it's that sort of strategy, I think, is really helpful for people who are a little further along sometimes in recovery. I think in the very beginning stages, it can be too triggering to even think about it. And sometimes, yeah. you know, in the really early stages, you just have to distract because you have to, like, you have to eat your food and you know that, you know, yeah. in the beginning stages. So you have to sort of figure out how to do that in a way that minimizes more, anxiety. Way more food than you're comfortable with yeah, at that point. Exactly. So then you know the in meal support I do this a lot too like just kind of having a fun conversation about something else yeah getting the person excited about you know other things in their life or talking about a tv show they like or you know hobby they have or whatever just like get them to eat while talking and yeah. and used to that process of like socializing around food yeah you know yeah um and relearning relearning and bringing pleasure to the experience that way because 
for some people, it's such a fight, you know, to yeah. even get out to a restaurant and they'll feel, you know, like you said, you felt this need to like eat first and have control. And yeah. if it's not sugar free, yeah. whatever, you know, yeah. like you're, you're worried about it. So trying to just sit down and do it, um, yeah. with, you know, someone you care about who you can talk to about other things yeah. and then slowly opening up to like the flavors, you know, the things that you like about the atmosphere, yeah. the tablescape, you know, like that's what I've, that's what I've come to now. It's like, I want to like the restaurant experience for the activity of going out yeah. to eat, not just the food. Totally. And that's like, that's a place of real healing. You Definitely. know, that's important. Um, so you ask a question on the on the survey you have mm-hmm. on your site, which is really cool. Um, if you're happy with your your current body, mm-hmm. and I was wondering how you would answer that for yourself, and and any tools that you have for accepting mm-hmm. your body or helping your clients do the same. Totally. Oh, it's been such a process, and like I've had, you know, I think most women in our society are conditioned to judge our bodies all the yeah. time. So, triggered to do so. Totally. Um, and I have, I think I've built a wall against that a little bit, like a healthy wall where I just, anytime those thoughts come up now, I think about all the reasons I love my body, what, you know, what it does for me, that the fact that I can, you know, do yoga and just walk around the city and like get where I need to go, you yeah. know, it, it does a lot. And also that, you know, when I was, I was never really happy with my body even when I was in my restrictive place because I always wanted to be thinner. Right. But, you know, if I ever have moments of being like, oh, I wish I could lose a little weight or whatever, be like, nope, actually, remember how miserable you were then. And you didn't like your body anymore anyway, so what's the point? Yeah. And then I had a real, um, about a year ago, I had a moment of really putting that to the test because I went through a breakup when I usually when I go through a breakup I'll be very depressed for a couple days or a week or whatever it is and I will not be hungry and I often don't eat enough food during that time and I'll like lose a little bit of weight and you know in my less recovered times I'll be like yay breakup diet you know and this time I was like I don't like the way my body looks now like I actually you know, however many pounds I've lost, I didn't really keep track, but I, you know, I was like, I I definitely lost like a somewhat significant amount that I could tell my clothes were hanging differently and I looked different. And I just was like, no, this doesn't work for me. Like I need those curves. I need, you know, where where I'm at at the healthy place is like a good, I I actually like the way it looks. And you know, that's not for you. Thanks. And I, I never expected to get there. Like I always thought, it would be that dance, you know, of like, oh, I kind of wish I was thinner, but no, remember, you know, yeah. and I thought that that would always be the way that's it really was. Inspiring. So now that's such a huge thing to carry with me because I'm like, even if I don't always feel great about my body still, even after that, but like, you know, any moment that I have of being like, oh, I wish this fit better, I wish, you know, I looked big in that photo or whatever it is, be like, yeah. now but remember, you don't want to actually be any thinner, so it's fine. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how, like, the littlest things can, like, you can be fine in the morning and yeah. think you're looking great, and then a weird 
picture you see or totally. a glimpse in a mirror you put on a mm-hmm. you know jacket or yeah. or com- the big one for me is like comments from other people like mm-hmm. you know especially like as you're healing and this might be something you hear yeah. like your clients a lot is like oh you look great and like when people say that yeah. to me like you look really healthy I know I always know their meaning you've gained weight since yes. the last time I saw you yeah like you've gained a significant amount of weight and totally and that's you know and I get that's that a hard. lot recently because mm-hmm. my body has changed a lot yeah. and um, and it, yeah, like there's part of me that's like, okay, that person just noticed I gained weight. That's okay, but I yeah. have to get myself out yeah. of that. And I think that's part of like the healing. Totally, it is. And I know that word healthy is so triggering. And I accidentally used it with a client recently. And then I was like, oh crap, I shouldn't have used that. Like I was yeah. so triggered by that word too. So we talked about it. But I remember when my mom, you know, when I was first, reco- I had first kind of restored mm-hmm. weight and my mom was like, I was home in California, and she's like, you look healthy now. You look good. Like, And I was like, I like yeah. bristled, you know? I was like, oh, I don't want to hear that. Or even, um, you know, for me, like people not saying, oh, you're so tiny. Yeah. Oh, that one. Tiny. Yes, like, tiny. Why is that a compliment in Seriously, our society? Why? I know. Yeah. That, what does that mean? Like, that's like minuscule. You're nothing. You're, right. You know? Right. Like, it's like, oh, my God, you're oh, so tiny. Right. I think that says a lot about what women are expected to be mm-hmm. or what, you know, people like... Yeah, you're so cute. Like, yeah. and I think that was something you cute. know in my in my past too. It's like mm-hmm. I was chasing cute. Yeah, you know, I was chasing like wanting to be cute and little cute to and people. Little. Yeah. And I always felt like I was bigger or different mm-hmm. or you know. And, and yeah. yeah, you think that to be cute, you have to be small. Totally. And if you're There's not, you're like gross awkward. or big or yeah. Yeah, and it's so relative. It's so relative. I mean. I definitely have moments where, you know, I'll be in the company of, like, a lot of petite women. And I'm fairly petite, but not, like, as much as some of my friends. And so, or I'll be wearing heels or something, and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I feel big. What's up with that? And then I'll be in the company of, like, a bunch of tall people and be like, oh, wow, I feel really small. Like, it just depends so much. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a part that I'm still, like, figuring out how much of that is, you know, healthy to even notice or be aware it comes up a lot in relationships because I I do like to date guys who are like significantly larger than me and like that maybe is not coming from the healthiest place but also you can't change what you're attracted to yeah and it's like if you you like people to be taller than you like really taller than you totally and and height is like almost something that like we can kind of use as a because it's not has nothing to do with Mm -hmm. with food or with body And it's just, it is what it is. So that's interesting. Totally. I know this like chasing of the tall man, which is a kind of a a hot pursuit in New York City. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. It's weird. Yeah. I I don't know. It's hard to find them. Yeah. Yeah. I think you talked about this in one of the Yeah. I think probably in the bacon wrap dating episode, we talked about it because it's like, yeah, we just, we really get into it, but the, the issues of dating in New York City. Yeah, it's it's and it brings up a lot of your stuff. Relationships, mm-hmm. are, it goes back to that. I mean, Definitely, their assignments and they they just bring up so many things and and they recreate so much of your early relationships too. Yeah, you know, whatever was going on in your family structure and you know early ideas you have about yourself gets so played out in relationships in yeah. a way that for me anyway, it's never really been the case in friendships. A little bit, but you know, I I think I choose friends based on criteria that don't have as much to do with that yeah you know distorted view of myself yeah. so yeah um so with so something else I wanted to ask you like in regards to mm-hmm. 
eating disorders, and they, they say that, you know, they have the, the highest relapse rate of, like, any disorder, yeah. right? Any, mental um, illness. Yeah. Mental illness, yeah. So, so, so what does that even mean, right? Like, what does, what does relapse when it comes? Mm-hmm. That's something I've been curious on, like, am I relapsing if I'm, like, having a weird thought about my body, or is it, like, like what right. does that act, what's that actual criteria? I know, I know. It's so, it's really complicated, and there are a lot of debates around what constitutes relapse, what constitutes re- recovery, you mm-hmm. know, full recovery versus recovering. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, in my opinion, you know, having a thought does not mean you're relapsing. Having a thought is, like, those are sort of residual, residual things that are going to kick around for a while, yeah. And that, you know, that means you still need to work on, you know, strengthening other reactions or, um, you know, other healthy coping skills. But it's not, it doesn't mean that you're relapsing. You know, relapsing, I really think, is is acting on those thoughts and Mm -hmm. changing your behaviors based on what you think about yourself. Um, There are others who say that even having the thoughts means, well, that having the thoughts means you're still recovering and not fully recovered. Um, which I guess from experience now, I would say that I don't have as many thoughts. I probably have virtually no eating disorder thoughts since being fully recovered. So I, I suppose I would agree with that, but I don't, I don't think it's, you know, cut and dry really. Like yeah. I think you can be fully recovered and still occasionally not like your body. Cause that's, yeah. uh, there, I read something recently that called it normative discontent that mm-hmm. you know women in our society are it's so dissatisfied with our sad bodies that that's a it's thing, not sad but it's so a thing yeah <laughs> it's so a thing and so you know it's like it's kind of unfair to expect women who are recovered to be you know so above and beyond normative yeah. discontent because what is that really saying it's like you have to be perfect in your recovery it'd you be know? like you have to like pluck us out of the world yeah you know? exactly like and you just can't expect that of yourself so I think you know it as much as I like feel like I'm on the other side of things and I'm not in that 75 65 to 75 percent of women with disordered eating anymore like I don't think that's you know I don't think you have to be like a hundred percent all or nothing it's yeah exactly so you know because people with eating disorders tend to have perfectionistic streaks anyway so to put yourself you know to put that idea of a perfect recovery on yourself just kind of perpetuates the same stuff you know that's funny um so what inspires you most about the the work that you're doing with your clients like what what is something that you want to share that's just been like super inspiring I think it's seeing people um come into their own and you know their food choices really mirror that but it's not you know I work with them on on food and making, you know, choices that support their recovery or, or, you know, whatever goals they have nutritionally. But I mean, I also work with people on just like challenging those negative thoughts. And, you know, I occasionally end up in the role of therapist, you know, just because people are coming to talk about something so deeply personal and those things come up, you know? Well, we said this in part one, (laughs) but, um, you know, whenever you're, and I've said it a billion times on here, but Whenever you're eating too much or not eating mm-hmm. or obsessing, you're denying a feeling you don't want to feel. Totally. So for you to get to the food stuff, you have to do the feeling stuff. Yeah. Feel it to heal it. Feel and it to heal you it. Exactly. To, you have to be the one to, to get that from people. Yeah. So that's interesting. Exactly. So yeah, teaching people how to tap into their feelings and use their voice and 
I do a lot of like validating too because I think one thing that was so healing for me in my recovery was the idea of acceptance. Mm-hmm. I my therapist recommended a book called Radical Acceptance that completely changed my life and it was, you know, it's about accepting where you are even if you want to change and like thoroughly accepting yeah. yourself even in your, you know, disordered state yeah. because if you can't like love yourself and accept yourself as you are, you don't have the strength to change. Yeah, so. it's interesting. I, I recently watched a YouTube video about this from one of my like latest teachers, and mm. she was saying basically like, and to do radical self acceptance, it actually has to be radical self approval, mm. and you have to take those disowned parts of yourself. So, yes. like, say for example, you're irrational and you mm-hmm. hate that you're irrational and you're so irrational and whatever. Yeah, like you have to make a list this is the exercise she gives to all of the ways by which being irrational is actually good for you mm-hmm. and actually like has helped you in oh, some that's way amazing. and then you can start to love that and, and whatever and if you don't do that apparently that like you'll attract in a partner who mm. you know yeah. brings up all of your stuff and it's yeah. like why are you so irrational why are you so irrational and like totally. you'll do that and then but if you start to love it and approve it you'll bring in someone who's like I love how spontaneous uh-huh. you are you know and it's interesting yeah. like when I heard that I was like oh I think for me like that's this whole eating stuff you know Mm -hmm. I think my biggest thing is like if I can go back and and instead of just being so mad at this like Mm -hmm. why was this my issue like why is this my thing and be like no look what it brought me like now I'm sitting here with you we're having a conversation you know like it's it's an interesting thing to do but it's really cool absolutely I totally recommend that to clients too because like you know people come in wanting to fight this disorder and get rid of it yeah, and, you, can't you know fight you, fire you with can't. fire exactly like you have yeah. to be compassionate even with that and also I mean nothing evolves for no reason like humans are very you know good at responding to situations and adapting and I think any disorder that arises usually comes from some adaptive place even if it's maladaptive to the current situation like there's some reason it started that you know it made sense in that context mm. so can you figure out what what context it arose in that it made sense, why that would trigger you, what your own needs were that weren't being met by your current situation and why you started to choose the eating disorder to meet those needs. Yeah. Maybe, you know, there's something there's something under that. Like the eating disorder is that disowned part, yeah. you know? Yeah. That it, it's acting out and it wants something from you, but what does it want? Yeah, it it's just, just wants, a symptom. Exactly, right? yeah. And it wants love or it wants acceptance or, you know, these very basic enough. human emotions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that like those are okay. And, yeah. you know, mm. give it that. And you don't have to act it out through food. Yeah, this is so deep and juicy. I love this conversation. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so now I want to get personal with you and okay. ask my signature questions. So can you, I love this question because it really gives us a glimpse of like who mm. you are. So can you walk us through some morning routines and some of the specifics of how you start mm. your day and how it impacts the rest of how your day goes? Yeah, totally. Um, so my, <laughs> I thought about this a couple years ago because I was working in a job for the city that was... I was supposed to be in at a certain time in a window and I would always like leave it till the last minute and I'd be doing like all these things in the morning. Um, And I realized I don't have any set structure to how I do things in the morning. Sometimes I'll get up and make my coffee first. Sometimes I'll 
put in my contacts and brush my teeth first. Sometimes yeah. I'll take a shower and wash my hair. Sometimes nice. I'll, you know, it's like all I do the same very thing, different. Yeah, do the same things, but the order, but the order is really different. But I think yeah. actually, like I've realized that the order and sort of the pacing says a lot about like where I'm at emotionally and yeah. sets the tone for my day sometimes totally. too. You know, yeah. Um, so if I'm like you know, feeling sort of sluggish or whatever, I'll definitely go in to get coffee first mm-hmm. and I'll often eat breakfast and just kind of like zombily look day. at my phone and yeah, really ease yeah. in. And now that I'm working for myself, I feel like it's nice because I can do that. I can build yeah. time in if I don't have a client like right, you know, at the beginning of the day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like usually have uh, coffee and like you know, peanut butter and banana or cereal or something Mm -hmm. for breakfast. And um, then I'll, like, take a shower, do my hair, do my makeup, get dressed. And getting dressed, we were talking about clothes on part one. And, yeah, yeah, it's such a big difference. And I think one thing that, like, has come up for me in recovery is, like, I'm just comfortable having, like, kind of a uniform or something that's, easy to grab and put Decisions on. Decisions like, in general really stress me out. Yeah. I wonder if that has to do with eating disorders because like, yeah. it, it affects me with food a mm-hmm. lot. You know, like if I have if I have just gone to the store or yeah. I have a lot of choice and it flips me out. Totally. Same with clothes. Like yeah. if I, I, I like to have like a few couple things that like mm-hmm. I, I wore out last week and I know like I felt good that day so I can wear that again. Exactly, like, yeah. That just like test just, an outfit oh, and then reapply yeah. it like, in a similar yeah, situation. Yeah, like you're packing kind of. Yeah, you know? totally. Like, it just, exactly. Yeah. I, so now I have a dress that's like, this is my first date dress. Yes, <laughs> like I yes. have, you know, clothes and I'm like, this is my weekend outfit. Yeah, you just gotta this hope is... you don't have the same people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's why I'm like, I only wear on our first date and then yeah. the second date is a different dress. Yeah. So, it's, you know. That's and so I, I have a couple of um, the same dresses in different colors or prints, yeah. you know, and yeah. a few things that I'm like, I often do like a dress and a jacket or a dress and a sweater mm-hmm. in the summer and then in the winter it's like, a couple pairs of jeans or yeah. pants and you know a few styles of shirt that I have in different colors or makes or whatever and a blazer yeah. you know I found recently like well, not recently well I guess whenever I find something that like fits and I and I like it mm-hmm. I want 10 of them mm-hmm. in like eight colors I think and that's so smart yeah I mean it is hard to find like stuff you especially like especially pants I think yeah pants yeah. are really challenging for everyone yeah I think. yeah so I find it for me. It's easier to dress in the summer because mm-hmm. um, you can just like throw on a dress. And yeah, just, it's it's easier. There's less, less clothing layers. to think about. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Winter's hard having yeah. to mix and match. And I'm is... always cold, which actually yeah. is very challenging in the summer because oh, you have bet. to wear like a completely different outfit in the for the outside air conditioning and the inside. And, yeah, you know, definitely. It can just be totally. Sometimes I know. it's so cold inside. I know. It's like rough. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. So on the other end of that coin, then for mm-hmm. your evening routines, what are some things you do to, to wind down and mm-hmm. like, turn, especially working for yourself and working from home, like how do yeah. you turn it off, especially with the work that you do? Yeah. How do you kind of take time for yourself? You know, that's a challenge. I mean, that's definitely something that I'm still figuring out because I think um, it would be helpful to have more of a routine around it now and I don't necessarily have that. But usually what ends up happening is, like, I'll have plans for dinner either with a client or with a friend. And so that's, like, the set end of my day. That's just, like, I'm, like, I'm going to stop working then, Mm -hmm. and I don't do any work after dinner unless it's, like, 
a really urgent email or, you know, I'm behind on deadline or something, but it, you know, I don't let myself just work 24 seven. Good. I think that would be, yeah. and I've done that. I had a period of life, you know, like or when I first moved to New York where I was just, I thought I had to be hustling all the time. And so I was, and I chose jobs that require that of me. And I, you know, almost burned out. I think I was pretty much on the verge of burnout by like 26. So I really had to take a time out and like figure it out so now yeah I do I'll do you know dinner out or dinner in but I'll be like a stop to make it you know I think Um, dinner is a good like a lot of people use that as I mean it's normal to use mm -hmm. that as like the end of the day yeah put a cap on it and to to relax but I found that like I didn't used to do that and in Mm -hmm. college everything's kind of convoluted but like yeah I really need an evening like I need to give myself like and I use dinner to relax and Mm -hmm. I think for me also I had to like a little bit take all of like I need to not just use dinner to relax you know like I need to like there's more other things to relax exactly Yeah, and that's that's why I like what you said about like not doing anything after mm-hmm. dinner either because you'll just totally. want to prolong dinner to not have yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Know? Avoid the rest of your yeah. responsibilities. Yeah. Procrastinate. Yeah. Procrastinate. Exactly. Procrastinate. <laughs> yeah, so I definitely like often, you know, watch TV after dinner, sometimes during dinner, which, you know, some people have a hard time with regulating and yeah. stuff, but I, I'm okay with that. Um I don't recommend it to everyone, certainly. But, yeah. you know, if I'm, like, just feeling like vegging, I'll just watch, yeah. you know, something fun, and comedy show. It, like, and it's okay. Yeah, exactly. It's totally okay. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, if it's if it's a problem for certain people, you know, maybe they can take that out for a while. But yeah. I think there's, like, too much judgment on, you know, mindful eating, I think, is a really useful tool. But I, yeah. I think just be careful not to turn it into a tool mm-hmm. for self-judgment like oh I didn't Absolutely. eat that mindfully so yeah, now there's something wrong down, with me I'm yeah exactly like just yeah. no just be kind to yourself you I, know? Chewed, I chewed that 47 <laughs> times not 50 <laughs> right like. exactly so yeah. many ways to get per- uh, perfectionistic about you know yeah. mindfulness and I've been there and, oh, like, yeah. and it goes back it's like the hunger and fullness diet too. Yeah, you know, totally. like sometimes you're gonna eat when you're not mm-hmm. hungry. Normal eaters yes. eat too much sometimes. Sometimes, exactly. Yeah, yeah that rules of normal eating. I yeah, that's that Ellen Satter. Or, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's so amazing. That yeah. was so liberating when I read that. Mm-hmm. And I, I was actually, you know, fully recovered, but still had some like questions about yeah. my own relationship to food when I read that. And then I was like, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm actually, you know, when I first started my podcast, I was like, I did a little intro talking about myself and who I was and nutritionist, journalist, whatever. And I was like, and, you know, I probably will always have a a difficult relationship to food. Maybe, you know, I'll always be like something of a troubled eater. So I said something along those lines. And then, you know, a few months later when I came across that quote, it was like a veil was lifted. And then I did a, you know, follow-up episode where I like talked about that. And I was like, no, actually, like... Just because I, you know, maybe eat too much sometimes or emotionally eat, you know, once in a blue moon or whatever. Like, who cares? Mm -hmm. It's fine, you know? Yeah. Isabel Fox and Duke read that quote Mm. on her um, the first time she was on the show. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's powerful because it's like, oh my gosh, I am normal. Yeah, totally. I know. Yeah. There's so much shame around, you know. Everything. Yeah. And I think that's a really big thing. I don't know who it was that said this, but like... 
there's this idea that, you know, not speaking out about the eating disorder or whatever secret thoughts you have that you think are shameful just gives it so much more power. Renee Brown, the minute you, it's Yes, like that's you what, yeah, shame, exactly. You, can, it, you just deflate it, you know, because yeah. shame, shame wants you to live when it's yeah. out or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, I was, I meant to say this earlier too, and mm-hmm. you probably come up with this for, for your, or this probably happens for you too, but for me, I know that like, Something with the the whole body confidence and just getting mm-hmm. over this stuff with food for me, yeah. like the biggest motivation has just been like, now I have girls who are like coming to me and depending yeah. on me for this. Like, there is no better motivation to like oh, get myself in check. Totally, like no nothing better. Yeah, like, and also, and this again is from Isabel, but she says like, get mad about the fact that like. Society is really effed up. Totally. Like, use that as be like, no, I'm going to take a stand. And, yeah. like, I'm in this body at this time. Yeah. And, no, like, this is and not this is okay. who I am. Yeah. And I'm going to feed myself appropriately and when I'm hungry. Your, yeah. yeah. And, like, yeah. every time you fall back into it, you're, mm-hmm. you're like, saying yes to thin privilege and yeah. to just crazy stuff. Absolutely. Which yeah. is so helpful. I think getting like political about it mm-hmm. has really been motivating for me too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Talking about it. Totally. And for me like till very recent, well not that recently now, but like for a long time I just I never wanted to say the the ED word. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. I know. Like I was. I didn't. I didn't have one. Like right. I, was just, I used to be I just really healthy like, and like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Maybe too yeah. healthy, but you know. But it's fine. Like yeah, forever, forever. You're just oh in, yeah. And it even when like I wasn't in denial, like I knew I had it. I just didn't want to talk about yeah. it or tell anyone. Totally. Like, I, just why would I ever do that no. and I think people probably look at you know probably both of us the work mm-hmm. we do and like why are you like still talking about that right like what but it's like because thank god we are seriously you know? but I mean that's interesting I don't know like no one said that to me but probably well, yeah no have you ever read Carolyn Costin she is wonderful she's a, um, a therapist and she founded Montanito treatment centers oh, okay. um, which are based in California but now nationwide and I think they're opening one in Australia she's so inspiring because she was like one of the first people I think to work in the field who said she was recovered who was out about it and you know she was like very young when she started and yeah yeah, I think you would really like it um she has a book called the eight keys to recovery from eating disorders that's really helpful for a lot of people yeah um and she was she's so vocal about it and has always shared her experience and she said that you know 30 years ago when she first started people would be like why are you talking about being recovered and how could you even be recovered you're you're in recovery forever you know it's like this concept of like that you'll never fully be okay and that you shouldn't be you know sharing your experience or or trying to help other people because you're still kind of brought that and yeah she cracked that open and now there's like this whole movement of people who you know all of her treatment facilities which are very profitable and you know successful like uh, they hire recovered people. They, you know, make a so point of that and discuss that. We were that talking about that before. People like yeah. to take advice when you're losing totally. weight from people who have been heavy and yeah. aren't. Exactly. And same thing with this, I think. Totally. Like someone who's been there and been through it and, you know, seen. Yeah. And I think there is, I mean, not that other clinicians aren't equally, you know, valuable or skilled, but I think there's something great about if you do have that background, being able to share it and to like, 
look into someone else's eating disorder and be like, I kind of know where you're coming yeah. from. And I've had thoughts like that too. Yeah. And here's how I got by. Or that, not even you know? kind of like I complete. Oh yeah. Like, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, Oh yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, like I've, and, and you know what to say to them. Like yeah. I, I do this a lot with the, the girls that I, that I coach and mentor and mm-hmm. I'll say like, I know what you're thinking right now. Yeah. I know you don't want to hear this. And I know mm-hmm. you're thinking, I don't want to hear that. I just want to get thin. Or yeah. like, I can get into their mind because totally. I am them. Yes, you know? exactly. And we can connect. And then they're like, yep. oh, she Shit, she sees me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh. Yeah. I know. And that's that's interesting. It's really valuable. So do you struggle with getting, like when you first start working with someone, mm-hmm. I guess if they come to you, they're pretty much like, they know there's a problem and mm-hmm. they are willing but uh, so maybe that's not the question but like in your business how do you gain the clients who need you who mm-hmm. maybe aren't going to come to you themselves I think I mean I get referrals so that's definitely one way because, and then do you reach out and then yeah well so like it'll be oftentimes like treatment facilities in the city will have someone who's like stepping out of treatment who's oh, you know okay. gone through the program and like needs continuing care as an outpatient oh, okay. um, so they'll nice. you know recommend me so that's a really nice way to get so people good that they have you yeah like, I just so wish I would have had you oh <laughs> thank you yeah I think you know it, it can be hard to connect with someone who's, yeah. who really you know treat who specializes in eating disorders in your area yeah. and who yes. has again like I keep the complimenting you but not even just the background <laughs> but the whole food side of it I feel like that's yeah. super rare the, yeah the foodie side of it and the what you do with restaurants I've never oh, wow. heard of are there more people that do that there's some but it is a small a small Niche, subset like yeah. yeah definitely I mean I work for um you know I consult for an organization that does that so oh, that's okay. how I started doing the restaurant stuff like that's oh, not okay. my own I don't even know if I would have known how to start doing that just yeah. on my own but this organization is set up for that oh. you know oh, okay. they like cool. you know I just the thought clients you that. Sort yeah. of like yeah no it's it's called meal support and mm-hmm. people do it a lot of treatment facilities do it as a part of their programs, yeah. but then there was no one really outside of programs doing it. So right. this, um, wh- I think it's one of the first organizations specifically devoted to it. It's called Clinical Recovery Specialists. Nice. Um, but I'm sure there are some others. You know, I, yeah. I know of like somebody in New Jersey, I think, who does you know sort of a private practice type version of that, and some people make that a part of their private practices too. Yeah. Um, like offer it as part of a package or whatever. But yeah, it's a really, it's, I think that is a need that continues to, you know, need to be filled. Do you ever struggle with people um, at the beginning, just not, even though they came Mm -hmm. to you or they referred or whatever, just still not having that willingness? Oh, absolutely. still, like, what are some of your... Yeah, so, I mean, I definitely have even, you know, right now, some of my regular clients are in this very ambivalent place where... They'll they go through phases, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people will be super motivated and ready for recovery, and they're triggered, and, and, they're, triggered yeah. and they're like, "Oh my god, should I really be doing this?" And yeah, yeah exactly. Like they'll take a few steps back, and, and then the fact that they're sharing it with you, it must be really bad. They, yeah, you know. yeah. Sometimes you know the motivation is to hide it. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that they're sharing it with me though actually bodes well for them because if they're in their disorder so much that it's it's you know the shame thing it's keeping them silent then mm-hmm. that means maybe they've regressed even more so if they're yeah. able to share it with me and i think it, it also bodes well for the trust in the relationship that like oh yeah they know i i can handle it i'm not going to be mad at them or disappointed yeah. but i'm gonna like take action you know and they want that help so they're telling me 
Um, I think it's, but you know, that's a constant thing with the eating disorders. I think working with motivation, constantly reminding people and just asking them like, why, why do you want recovery? You know, what, yeah. what is it? What can you say back to your eating disorder when it says this? What are you, what can you say back to it? You know, mm. working with that sort of cognitive behavioral set of tools that can yeah. be really helpful for addressing those things in the moment. Mm. Yeah. Just arming them with as many tools as you can. Yeah, exactly. That's powerful. Um, okay, cool. This has been fun. Let's wrap with some quick fire questions. Okay, cool. You ready for <laughs> yes, that? Yes. Okay. Favorite color? Blue. Biggest health misconception that you feel like you're constantly clearing up for people? Mm, don't eat after a certain time of day. What are you most excited about in your life now? Um, my career, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, here's a little scenario. It's 8 p.m. You've mm-hmm. had a long day. You're beat, but you're starving. What mm-hmm. do you make slash eat, pick up? What, what, do you, what do you do? It depends on what I have in the fridge, but I usually have at least, like, bread and cheese and, like, hummus and vegetables. So I'll do, like, a quick grilled cheese sandwich, or if I can't even muster the, like, energy to String. grill it, I'll just, like, do it, like, put it in this, you know, put the cheese in there and, like, yeah. eat it plain um, and have, like, you know, I usually have some cut-up, Broccoli or carrots or hummus, yeah. you know, carrots or whatever to go with the hummus. Yeah. So I'll do that, you know, just like, yeah, sandwich, yeah. vegetables, now hummus. Now you're making me hungry. Done. Yeah. Um, okay, what um, is your, you've kind of mentioned this before, your go-to staple breakfast? Peanut butter and banana. That's like my favorite it's, food it's, ever, oh, by the way. Oh, that's amazing. My mom I would make a banana so boat, so you uh-huh. like take the, the top little piece off, so it's like oh, a boat, yeah. and you put it in, it sticks really nicely, oh, and you can put that on top. perfect. Tomorrow morning? Oh my god, totally. Yeah. I often <laughs> just mash it up, but that sounds there's good a too. more that creative way to too. do it, yeah. <laughs> um, I, lo- I'm a, I like peanut butter, but I prefer apple and banana. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I love that favorite. too, actually. It's a good snack. Um. Not if I'm banana, apple, and almond butter. Oh, butter. I love yeah, almond butter. Yeah, that's my favorite. I used to live right near a Trader Joe's, and the almond butter is cheap there, so oh, I would get it all yeah. the time. But now it's like, you know, almond butter is really pricey, and I don't yeah. live near a place that's so cheap, so yeah. do more peanut. Yeah. I really, my favorite right now is pumpkin seed butter. Have you ever had yeah. it? Yeah. So I think just like once good. or twice. It's... I could like drink it. Oh, yeah. It's so good. It sounds it's delicious. It's so good. Um, okay, what is, what is something that you're doing that you're afraid of, but you're doing anyway? Mm, dating. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. What is one practical self-care action you take for yourself every day or most days? Um, do nothing for a little while. Mm. Just like stare into space. That's a Not good Not even one. try to meditate. Just like yeah. stare. <laughs> That's a good one. Favorite yoga pose? Mm, warrior two. Favorite day of the week? Interesting. Thursday. Oh, it's Today. today. <laughs> Favorite hour of the day? Um, oh, probably 7 p.m., dinner time. <laughs> Favorite vegetable? Broccoli. Favorite fruit? Uh, nectarine. Favorite way to relax? Yoga. Favorite on-the-go snack? Lara bars. Um, favorite recipe you've ever created? Or mm. something you've eaten out, even? I think... Um, uh, it's actually in a cookbook now, which is so cool, the Edible oh. Brooklyn cookbook. But it was it's sweet potatoes with... Oh, and you uh, made it? Yeah, cool. yeah. I just, like, you know, played around with some stuff. Fun. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Was sweet potatoes with um, cilantro and lime. Oh, and my gosh, I'm getting so hungry. It butter, sounds so good. I think. I can't remember exactly what I put in it for that one. But, Ooh, you know, just some version of... Yeah. Um, 
of that butter like sour cream or something yeah what was the best thing you've eaten in the last week mm, um what? oh probably last night at a place called blossom which is a vegan restaurant it's a port wine seitan it was like Ooh. a like take on you know port wine steak i guess or yeah. something but with seitan oh nice yeah um what does your ideal day look like mm. I mean, probably it's a weekend, and I'm going... I love my career, but not that much. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so I ride my bike to the beach and spend, like, three, four hours on the beach just, like, lying in the sun, reading, swimming, repeat, Yeah. Um, maybe snacking on some stuff, and then going to lunch or dinner at, like, a cool... I live near Brighton Beach, so it's like a Russian neighborhood, like mm, cool. uh, Russian-Ukrainian, oh. really interesting kind of ethnic food. So going somewhere around there for something interesting. Yeah. Nice. And then like bike home and sleep. That sounds really fun. Yeah. I want to do that with you. I'll yeah. be your partner. Cool. Come with me this weekend. Yeah. Um, superhero power you would like to have for a day? Teleportation, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, favorite vacation you've ever had? Mm, probably Kauai when I was a kid um, with my family. It's super like remote and beautiful. I heard about it a lot. Oh, it's amazing. The beaches are so gorgeous. Mm. Yeah, I'll go to that with you too. Yeah, totally. totally. Um, what's food? What's one food you could eat every day and never get sick of? Bibimbap, Korean. Oh, I've never had that. I've always wanted so the egg delicious. Yeah, it's amazing. It. Like in a stone bowl. I love the cool. stone bowl ones. Or it like sizzles still, keeps yeah. cooking the rice. And mm. Amazing. That we should go get that. Too. Yeah, totally. We've got a lot to do. I know, seriously. Packed um, agenda. Favorite movie? Um, well, because I'm thinking of it right now, a Philadelphia story, but I have a lot of others. Too. Oh, it was Tom Hanks. No, um, oh. that's Philadelphia. Oh, that's okay. a common uh, yeah. <laughs> Philadelphia story. Well, that was really sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watching Health Class. Oh, that would be so sad. It's a favorite movie. Say, yeah. I mean, it is a really it's a good wonderful movie. movie but yeah. yeah, not like not uplifting necessarily. Philadelphia Story is much earlier. It's from the forties, and oh, it's okay. um, Catherine Hepburn and I think Spencer Tracy. I actually haven't watched it in a while, but I was talking about it with someone recently, so it oh, made me nice. want to rewatch it. It's very cool. cute, like about journalists and love. Oh, so. I, I tell you, so many romantic comedies yeah. are journalists. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, I remember like seeing, I studied journalism. Oh, cool, too. yeah. yeah. Um, what is your favorite book? Hmm, I mean, right now, probably Daring Greatly by oh, Renee Brown. So good. so good. Can't get enough of her. Yeah, love that. Favorite song? Um... Zebra by Beach House. Oh, one. I love. Yeah, I have their. I love to listen to vinyl, and I uh-huh. love their album. Oh, and it came awesome. with a poster, which is oh my I god, love cool. They come with a poster. Now that makes me want to get a record player. Oh, you so should. I like. I used to have one in yeah, high I could school, send but you back yeah. Oh my god, it'd be yeah. so fun. It's an expensive hobby. Though. It is. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, okay, final question. Mm-hmm. So, as you know, the name of this blog and podcast is the mm-hmm. wellness wonderland so when I offer that term to you to live in a wellness wonderland what comes up mm. what does that mean to you that means I mean a lot of what we've been talking about mental wellness you know just not judging yourself being happy with where you are and mindful and um, present um, eating interesting foods that I want to eat and stopping when I'm full and not com- feeling compelled to eat you know any specific times yeah. just kind of listening to my body um, the beach really comes up a lot for me, but I think, you know, something with like swimming and sun and, you know, just like 
outdoor relaxation would be a big part of it. Mm. My wellness wonderland is definitely on a beach. Yeah, yeah mine too. Mine yeah. Too. Awesome. Well, this has been so fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been delightful. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me at Katie Dalebout and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation and like the wellness wonderland on Facebook so we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives and never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on the wellness wonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.